Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. What do non-believers need from us? They need the gospel. The gospel. So Paul said, look, I've determined, I made the commitment not to know anything among you guys except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And because that's the most important thing. That's the most powerful thing I can share with a non-believer. That's why we call the gospel the good news. I got good news for you. The good news is that God loves you and he did something for you. He did something for you that no one else has done or could do. He sent his son to pay the penalty for all your sins. It's easy to look at your non-believing friends and judge them for how they live their life. But in today's message, Pastor Bill emphasizes what non-believers really need to hear. They don't need all the wrong things pointed out. They need to be told that God loves them despite the wrong things. The most powerful testimony you can give is the gospel, the good news. The good news that Jesus did what no one else will ever do. Die so that you can live. That's what your friends need to hear. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. We began chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians and we looked at Paul, the people he was writing to, the Corinthians, what it was like in the area that they were in, some of the challenges they were having. The first one out the gate that he dealt with was division among them and he spoke on that. Then we did the rest of chapter 1. Paul talked about just uh, how that the Jews request a sign and the, the Greeks, they want wisdom and just how the people are looking for different things. And so it kind of brings us into chapter two, where Paul is going to basically consign himself. Now, I have to say this about Paul. Paul was a very wise man. If Paul wanted to be someone that was going to argue philosophically, you know, I'm going to I'm going to convince you to follow God by using human reasoning or human arguments. Paul was equipped and qualified to do that. But something he acknowledges in this chapter is that there's there's no power in human reasoning. And this is something that I've been told, and I believe it's true and I've seen it, that if somebody can be persuaded through human reasoning, so it's not a work of the Holy Spirit, it's not something God has done, it's not revelation from God that brings them to a place of concrete belief in Christ, but it's been through some kind of human reasoning, then someone a little wiser can reason them right out of the same thing. And so God doesn't want us to merely acknowledge him in our minds, you know, where there's a, a just a mental acknowledgement. OK, well, I believe the facts. I believe Jesus is God died on the cross, rose in the grave. And, and, and it makes sense to me because X, Y and Z. We need to come to a place where our knowledge of God is it's something it's beyond that. It's supernatural. It's solidified. And so some of us, we know God like that. There's some of us here that have experienced God in tangible ways, answer prayer, God moving your life, the miraculous, who, you know, different ways by his spirit that God reveals himself and makes himself known to where, you know, I'm ruined. I, there ain't, I don't care what a degree somebody might have. Like I'm ruined for any other. I know God. Um, I know him. He's interacted with me. He's spoken to me. He's ministered to me in my life. He's done things that were, were directly from him. I'm ruined for the thought of there being something else. But it wasn't always that way. There was a time in my life where I did not know God. I did not know him. I didn't know him by his power. I never experienced him in any way that was tangible or meaningful to me. And at that point, I was open to whatever because I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. 
Some people that have maybe even grown up in church their whole life and maybe attended church their whole life and their knowledge of God or their awareness of God is all outside of themselves. Just I've heard someone else say that person testify. I've never seen it. I've never heard it. I've never experienced. God's never done that for me. I've never seen answer prayer. I've never seen God move. Some people know God at that kind of distance. That's a really dangerous place to be at. That kind of belief, it can be kind of come and go. You know, it's not based in anything. You know, we put our faith in God. How do we even come to that place where our faith in God, our faith in who he is, our faith in what he's done? It's got to be real. I have to I can't just mentally say, OK, I believe that Jesus died, rose from the grave. Why do you believe that, though? How do you know if someone were to press you for that? How do you know? How do you know that? Like, why do you believe that? Why are you you're willing to base everything on that? How do you know? And that's a good question for us to be able to answer. How do I know that? Why am I so convinced? I know for me, I'm convinced I could, I could walk you through the, the season of my life where I was questioning things and wondering and wanting to know what, what was true and what was not true. And the ways that God, God, to me, the first thing God did for me in my life was speak to me through the word in a supernatural way. And I've read other religious writings. I've read the Quran before. I've read, uh, I've had people give me other things. The guy that led me to Christ did something that I think was so powerful. He left a Bible at my house. And he said it was his own Bible. I still have it. It was a men's devotional NIV Bible. It's a hardback green cover Bible. And he said, I'm going to leave it with you if you promise to read it. And I was like, I'll read it, you know. And the only book of the Bible I was really familiar. I, I had heard that Proverbs was a book of wisdom. And I felt like I was a pretty wise guy. So I said, I'm, I'm going to read through Proverbs. And as I started reading, and every, I would do it every day faithfully. I would just, now, I would, my life, I wasn't saved yet. I was still in the world. But I was reading through Proverbs every day. I might read Proverbs over a 40 back then. That's y'all can, you know, judge me if you want. I wasn't saved yet, but I was reading it every day. And, and this happened to me. I, I, I'll never forget it. I, I wish I had the verses. I, I could give them to you guys later. But there's three times in Proverbs where it says something along these lines. Women, don't be offended. This is not a, I'm not trying to stab nobody. But it says it's better to live on a corner of a rooftop than in a house with a contentious woman. Trying to restrain her is like trying to restrain the wind. Now, mind you, at that time in my life, um, as I'm, God's beginning to call me to himself, I'm living with a girl that's not my wife. We're not, we're not married. We're living in sin. And it was hellish. I mean, it was nonstop fighting and it was bad. It was probably the worst season of my young life, that period right there. And the first time I read it, I'm like, yeah, that word, I, the Bible is right. You know, it is like, man, I'd rather be anywhere. Then it said again, it said, you know, living in a house with a continual, it's like, it's like continual dripping, annoying. You know, for some of you might hear that and say that, I, that God was speaking to me so loud. It, it spoke to me so loud. I went to church that week with my friend, gave my life to Christ, you know, made a commitment. I came home and the first thing that was on my heart to do was to break up and not be living with her no more. But where'd that come from? That, that was the first time God ever spoke to me and through the word. And it was true. That was the first thing on the list. Not before I got rid of my weed, before I got rid of the, you know, that was the first thing on the list was get that out of your life. But God has spoke to me there and he would continue to speak to me through his word. And this is one thing I can say. I mean, I've read other things. I've read other books, but this book speaks to my spirit. It speaks to me in a way. No other book. This is the Bible. When it says the Bible says that it's living and powerful. I've experienced that. From the very beginning, I still experience it now. There'll be things that I'm praying for, things that I'm I'm confused over and I'm, I'm going back and forth and the word will just speak to me in a supernatural way. You can't take that from me. 
And there's no other book that does that. No other book speaks to my spirit because no other book is living like the Bible. So chapter two, verse one, let's jump in this says now. And I, brethren, Paul speaking, when I came to you, did not come with excellent speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, Paul was educated and Paul, if it was a matter of Paul, you know what? I'm going to out. Paul was not merely an orator or a speaker. But if that was the case, Paul was better than most. And if Paul is saying, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to outdo their orators, their speakers. I'm going to I'm going to outclass them and I'll convince them to come to Christ. I'll convince them to believe what I believe by outclassing their their greatest orators or speakers or whatever. I'm going to meet them. I'm going to come to those people and come at their level. I'm going to give them what they want. They want Greeks. You want wisdom. I'm going to show you wisdom. But Paul said, you know what? And, and this is I'm, I'm going to share why I believe he did it this way. When Paul says in verse one, when I came to you, when did Paul come to Corinth? If you go back or you write notes in your Bible, write down Acts chapter 18. Acts 18 tells us about when Paul went to Corinth. Well, just before that, in Acts 17, Paul went to an area of Athens in Greece. That's where all the Greek philosophers were. That's where, you know, they were into philosophy. They were into idols and all these things. And Interesting, when Paul got there, Paul tried to do it their way. Paul was like, you know what? These guys are religious and they're into all these idols. So Paul walked into the area of the Areopagus, it says. You can read it in Acts 17. And he saw all their gods. They had altars to all these gods. And then they had one altar erected to the unknown God. They were so religious. They said, you know what? We don't want to miss one of the gods and tick them off. So we're going to actually make one altar to the unknown God. And so Paul went. And he observed that they were into and Paul said, I, I, I can see that you guys are very religious people. And I see that there's an altar to the unknown God. So I'm going to tell you about him. I'm going to tell you about that God, the, un, the one that's unknown to you guys. And Paul shared with them using kind of using the culture, using what they were into. And as you come to the end of it, it wasn't completely ineffective. It does say at the end, a few people came with them. A few people believed. But as you look at it, something happened in Paul's heart there. Something took place. The, the initial response was that some of them said they, they did just what they do to speakers. They said, we're, we're going to come hear you again on the matter. That was, that was pretty interesting stuff. We'd like to hear some more another time. And they treated it just like that, like common speech, even though a few came. But Paul says after that, when he went to Corinth, he says, you know, when I got to Corinth, I decided I, I made the commitment that I'm, I don't know anything among you guys except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And as I went back and read the account in Acts 17, he did eventually at the very end get to the crucifixion and the resurrection. And I wonder if maybe when he finally got to that, that that's where the power was at. That was the turning point for the few that came. And I wonder if he saw that and said, you know what? All this other stuff was I'm going to commit, even though I know a grip of stuff. When I come to you guys that don't know God, I'm going to come to you as someone that I know Jesus Christ, him crucified. I'm going to just get to the message. I'm going to get to the, the crux of the matter. I'm going to get to the most important thing. This is a great example for us because a lot of Christians, when trying to witness to family and friends, we get lost in so many discussions and arguments that they don't really matter. Right. If I'm speaking to someone that's going to hell, I can't be talking to them about, you know, uh, what their particular sins are. If someone I'm speaking to is going to hell, it doesn't matter if they're an alcoholic, a fornicator, a homosexual, a thief, a crack addict. Those are all byproducts of the fact that they don't know God. So I need to be sharing with them the message of the gospel, what Christ has done for them. 
It's after we get saved that the Bible says God works in us both to will and then to do for his good pleasure. So the people that spoke to me when I wasn't saved about stuff I should stop doing. Can I tell you how? I mean, it didn't just fall on deaf ears. I mean, it was it was worse than that. I mean, I have I have people when I wasn't saved. You shouldn't be drinking. What? Why? I just, you know, I didn't understand. Like, why, why are you telling me this? That you just don't drink. I'm going to have my drinks. You know, you shouldn't move in. You're shacking up with that girl. And so I don't have to keep getting a hotel. You know, like in my mind as a non-believer, it's like, what does it matter? Like, I don't understand. Why are you telling me this? I never made a commitment to Jesus. I'm not saved. I don't know God. I don't have a desire or power to do what you're telling me to do. It was so ineffective. And you know what it did? It made me feel judged by them. And it made me want to get away from them. Okay, that auntie right there, I don't want to hear from her anymore. She's telling me I shouldn't be. Didn't bother sharing me the gospel. She's telling me I shouldn't be drinking. He's telling me I need to respect my parents. They're telling me I shouldn't be shacked up. All these rules that are for Christians. So we want to be careful in our witness to the world that we're not giving them the rules that apply to us, right? What if there was an Olympic level athlete and they're on a strictest of diets for their Olympic level athletic stuff? If they came into your house and said, you shouldn't be having fried chicken. You shouldn't have to get rid of those Doritos. You know, I I'm not going to run for the, the marathon. You just give me my Doritos back. You know, like I'm not you. I'm not I'm not under what you're under right now. I haven't committed to that. We could do that to people spiritually. And so we want to be careful. What do non-believers need from us? They need the gospel, the gospel. So Paul said, look, I've determined I made the commitment not to know anything among you guys except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And because that's the most important thing. That's the most powerful thing I can share with a non-believer. That's why we call the gospel the good news. I got good news for you. The good news is that God loves you and he did something for you. He did something for you that no one else has done or could do. He sent his son to pay the penalty for all your sins. Do you know you've sinned? Fall short of the glory of God. You know you break commandments. If not, I'll show you what they are, whatever, walk you through it. But you know what? God loves you even though you break commandments and breaking rules. And he did this for you. He sent his son to take your sins upon himself and die so you don't have to. Then here's the kicker. After he died, three days later, he rose from the grave and conquered sin, death and Satan. So we don't have to fear death. We get heaven as our as our home. We have a hope of heaven beyond this life. God did that for you. And all you have to do to take hold of it is believe in him. Do you want to do that? Do you want to put your faith in Christ? Do you want to be forgiven? That sounds like good news. Somebody walking up to somebody and saying, you shouldn't be living with her. That, that's not good news. I don't want to. What is that? You, you, you should stop smoking some of that. You know, why? It, I like it. It makes me feel, you know, that's not good news. We got to be careful about being that and sharing the gospel. Now, again, those same rules. Now, if some of y'all that are Christian, now that's different. If you're Christian and you know the Lord and the spirit of God lives in you, now I, I would speak to you totally differently. You know, as a Christian, if y'all saw me doing those same things, it would be appropriate for you to say, hey, man, aren't you saved? Aren't you, why are you doing that? You shouldn't see me having a 40 now. You know, you shouldn't see me doing some of the stuff. I, not now. I'm saved now. But before that didn't apply to me. So, yeah, moving on. Verse three. Paul said, I was with you in weakness, in fear. And in much trembling and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and a power. And so Paul says, look, when I came to you, I was in weakness and fear, much trembling. How come? 
Physical weakness, he was afraid, there was much trembling. This ministered to me because anybody that does ministry, anybody that steps out to do whatever, speaking, sharing the gospel, whatever, there's always fear. There's always something in your flesh to overcome, to, to, to walk in the spirit, to do the things God tells you to do. And I read Paul's letters and I just see a brave man of God. I see a guy that is stoned and is like, gets up and goes back into the same city. I see a guy when threatened with jail is like, so what? I'm going anyway. I see a guy that just looks nonstop. He's just unstoppable. But as I read this here, he said, I had fear, though. It wasn't like I just, you know, it wasn't like I was just like crazy. You know, I, I don't care. Paul, I, I had fear. I just didn't let fear control me. And so let this be a, a witness to us. Let it minister to our hearts. Let it be an example that it's OK when you get ready to step out and do something for God that your flesh is like, you sure you want to do that? You probably don't want to do that. You shouldn't say that. It's going to be bad. They're not going to like it. You know, your flesh is going to scream for you to do nothing. And that's OK for the flesh to fear. But it's not OK for you to succumb to that fear. You got to overcome it every time. You got to step on over the line every time. And so Paul says, look, I came to you guys. I was in fear. Paul had there were threats of persecution. Paul had persecution from both sides. Paul had the Jews that he used to run with persecuting him. Then there were even factions and segments of the church that were against him. And so Paul had it coming from both directions. Everywhere he went, he had that to overcome. There are very real threats upon his life because of the, the level of ministry that he did. And so he said there was I was in weakness and fear and much trembling. And again, I read that and I think, wow, like I understand fear. I, I may hear ever been so afraid you trembled, you know, like, ooh, just a, I, I mean, this was not no light level. Like, I'm kind of scared. I don't know. I'm nervous. This was fear, you know, fear for your life, fear for your physical well-being, fear like a, a group of gangbangers got you in a corner and they're coming down. And it's like that fear pause that I was in fear trembling even. But I got there, but I still made it. And I would just ask all of us. If there's anything that you are called to do, but afraid to do, is there any area of your walk, your life, your spiritual being where God has put something in you to do and fear has been a hindrance? I encourage you to just overcome it, just obliterate it, just step out over it. The coolest thing happens when you overcome fear, right? When you're afraid to do something that God wants you to do, when you go ahead and do it anyway and you see what God does afterwards, you'll never be afraid in the same way that you were before you stepped out. That as much as there was a fear when I didn't know, what you become aware of every time you overcome fear is how faithful God is, how God shows up every time, how God has been with you each time. Every time you step out over fear, you see that God is faithful. But when you don't step out because of fear, you never get to see God move. And that's where a lot of believers are. I never see God do miracles. You don't ever do nothing where God needs to show up at. Right. There are people I've never seen God do nothing miraculous because you're never in a position where he needs to. You do as much as you can do and you stop. But sometimes God, many times the things God calls us to do, they're things that if God doesn't show up, they won't work. And that's why it's scary. It's like, man, God, this if you're not in this, it won't go. And God's like, OK, go do that. Trust me. See what I do. It's scary. It's a scary thing. I can tell you guys planting this church it was a scary thing. It was scary. That first few months. Now, I left a church that's considered a mega church, more than 10,000 members. I did a high school ministry with like 300 kids. I mean, I didn't bring them there. They were there because just by by virtue of the fact there are that many adults there, there were that many kids, you know, but that was doing the ministry. And when it was like, well, leave that and come over here and you're going to plant Cabin Chapel Inglewood. And for you guys that were here in the beginning, we were at Morningside and 
I remember, I still remember. I remember the first service. It was like, is anybody going to come? I was on Facebook sending messages to everybody. I was like, it was a scary thing. You know, like it was, it was a very scary thing to like, man, what if this doesn't go? What if nothing happens? What if we do all of this? I've already left my job. I'm, I mean, what if, what if nothing happens? What if nobody comes? And so that first Sunday, I think God just encouraged me. He sent all these friends from other churches that I know. They were like, oh, they're playing the church. We're all going to come. So the first Sunday for you guys that were there, it was like, like 80 some people. It's like, hey, now we got church. You know, like this is awesome. It's going to be great. But after a couple of weeks, when everybody that came to say, yay, you know, went back to their church and I looked out and it was like. My wife, <laughs> my kids, a couple other people that, you know, it was a handful of really close friends and family. And so then again, it was like, man, God, are you, are you in this? I didn't want us to do this. And it was it was a battle. I tell you, every Sunday I went there, I battled. And more times than going, it was when I left there that I would battle. You leave and it's just, man, I, I, I remember one week saying this. I'm like, God, everybody here, I don't think anybody was from Inglewood that was there. Everybody from here drove to Inglewood from somewhere else. They could all just be at another church. Like we're not, I'm not, we're not impacting Inglewood yet at that point. And I was all, you know, I was in my feelings and everything else. And, and I remember going and praying and God was like, but, but what did I say? And God just took me back to his word. I said, do it. I didn't say how, I didn't say it was going to be blow up. I didn't say you got a million people. I just said, do it. So you'll be there next week doing it, study, get ready, do it again. And over time, see God show up. And I can tell you guys, my wife and I have sat up at times just speaking about certain people, looking at faces, looking at people, people that either got saved or people who, you know, are, are, are they're growing, they're being discipled, they're being ministered to. And it's like, man, it, it's it's so worth it for what God is doing. It'd be a lie to say there weren't points where it was like, man, it's scary. I could be somewhere safe, but I don't think it's what God have. Like this is this. It is safe to be in the will of God, but it's scary. You got to have faith. You got to trust God. I got to believe that God's going to do things I don't see yet. And so what I can tell you is that it's, it's very adventurous and exciting. One thing that my life is not is boring because every week there are things that I'm like, man, we need God to do this. We're looking for the Lord to take care of this. And it, it, wherever it's at, it's like, man, I need God. And I wonder sometimes if God didn't put me in a position where I was just going to need him. So I'll stay close. Um, but I absolutely sense the need for him. So moving on, Paul says, that his speech and his preaching were not with persuasive words or human wisdom, not because he wasn't wise and not because he couldn't use persuasive speech, but he had decided, he had chosen that he wouldn't come with those means, that he wouldn't use human means of gaining people. Because if you gain people through human means, then they can be lost through the same thing. It's been said that whatever you use to draw people is what you will draw them to. So if you draw people through eloquent speech, you've drawn them. They're drawn to eloquent speech, not to the Lord. What we want to be careful is I want to draw people to Jesus so that we've drawn you to the one that you need to be with. You need to be with him. Jesus is the draw. And so I'm cautious in my proclamation of the gospel. I hear some people preach a gospel that sounds like this. You know, whatever your problems are, you know, if you just come to Christ. He'll take care of your financial problems. He'll take your, your marriage will be better. You know, your work situation, everything that's terrible in your life, it'll be better when you just come to Jesus. How many of you guys have heard a gospel like that before? All right. Don't that sound good to everybody here? Right. If you broke right now, Christmas time, if, if I come to Jesus, all my problems, my money going to be right. I'll be the first one down. You know, if I come to Jesus, you got a jacked up marriage and it's like, if you just come to Christ, he'll fix it. 
That, that husband that's a loser, he is going to become a man of God. You know, that wife that's all jacked up, she is going to become this submissive, sweet little marshmallow. It's just going to be great if you just come. That's great for someone in a stressful marriage. It's like, really? I'm coming today. You got terrible kids? Oh, man, just come to Jesus. And God's going to he'll apprehend every single one of your kids. That's all we have time for today on A Transforming Word. Pastor Bill has been teaching through the book of 1 Corinthians. This book addresses the idea of confronting sin. Paul knew it was more important to hit the issue head on rather than skirt around it for the sake of being approved of by the majority. This is a hard thing to do when you know that tough issues will cause disruption in a church or even a breach in relationship. But what matters most, pleasing God or pleasing man? It's something to keep in mind as you continue to study this New Testament book. Can we encourage you as you strive to walk out a life of faith, even when it's unpopular? Call or send a text to 310-245-4811. That's 310-245-4811. We'd love to meet you. Do you live in the Inglewood area? Then come join us for worship this weekend. You can get service times and location information at calvaryinglewood.org. You can even find links to stream our services if you're not able to be with us in person. And you can catch up on previous messages online. That website again is calvaryinglewood.org. As we come to the end of our time with you today, we want you to know that we're grateful to have you as part of our listening audience. Would you join us in praying for others who are tuning in and may be hearing about Jesus for the first time? Pray that their hearts will be open to truth and change. Thanks for praying and thanks for joining us on A Transforming Word.